these green things forever. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. And make a part in about time too about not playing the NDE. It was free for all and I heard him say he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick cause you're incapable AMs. Hello and welcome to Keep Off the Borderlands. My name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall. And before I get into anything else, I just wanted to say I had a great weekend's gaming on Saturday, uh, the 2nd of October. I had the pleasure of playing League of Eternal Guardians, Barney Dicker's game, Barney Dicker of Loco Ludus. He was running the session and I was playing with two other players who I've never played with before, but I hope to play with again. And it was a really fun session. This was a live stream, which is the first time I've been involved in anything like that. And it was part of the Everyone Games Accessibility Awareness Weekend, which they put on. And um, lots of interesting events going on there. They do have a website if you want to check that out. Everyone hyphen games.com and as i say that was a real pleasure great fun session i do love that system and i do love the world it takes place in this time we're in we appeared in victorian london i played a character called samuel pendle from the uh, 17th century a hermit who'd been accused of witchcraft and uh, managed to make his escape by um, making contact with the League. And, um, yeah, essentially the mission was to find a agent out in the field and exchange a bag. This was not as straightforward as it seemed. It didn't take long for things to descend into chaos and uh, lots of fun had there. Then on Sunday, following a an interesting Alluvial Plains meeting, which I always enjoy. They always go off in really interesting tangents. And um, I always come away from those having learned something and, um, and, and with a better idea of what I'm doing going forward as part of the Alluvial Plains project. Um, and yes, that evening, it was the grand finale. And it, it, yeah, and it was a grand finale of Andy Goodman's Call of Cthulhu. Um, this is a seven-page scenario that ended up being 13 sessions. And um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, as, as Andy revealed, he has incorporated some elements from some other scenarios to kind of flesh things out. And it's just been a really wild ride. Just so much fun playing that game. I think we're going to take a break from that. And for the next session, we're, we're doing a session zero uh, in the hope of putting together something a bit more kind of straight up horror. You know, trying to 
set the frivolity aside, perhaps. Having said that, I mean, as fun as these sessions are, there is a real sort of sense of drama when things do start going south. You know, it's been it's been a journey. It's been a real a real journey for us as a team. All those uh, sessions shall be airing on Grizzly Peaks Radio. I hope you don't mind me interrupting myself here. I'm wondering if it indulge me in a little unboxing. Just a couple of envelopes, I promise. Won't take long. Just going to have a little look. Do not bend. Nice, it's not bent. It's a good start. Uh, perplexing ruins. Now that rings a bell. Let's see what we've got here. About A5 size. Uh, look at this. Aha! Darkness moves. This is a little hex crawl for Cairn. And, um, well... I'm going to review that in the next episode. That looks uh, nice, nicely put together. That was kindly sent to me free of charge on the understanding that it would get a mention on the show. So I'll give that some proper attention in the next episode. On to the next one. This may not be RPG related at all. Doesn't look like it. Ah! Ah, this is a lock. Replacement lock for the cabinet that uh, holds all the uh, audio-visual equipment for the community cinema, which um, we are hoping to get up and running in time for some uh, Halloween performances. Something for the kids, something for the adults. So, uh, yeah, that's all very exciting. Yeah, a replacement lock. You heard that right. Not even got the community cinema up and running. And uh, somebody has already tried to unlock the cabinet with the wrong key and managed to break the lock. So, uh, yeah, but um, I'm, I'm told it's very easy to replace. In this episode, I'm going to be responding to a lovely message that was sent to me by Safer of Safer Fantasy Crafting. This is an extended message in response to my previous episode, where I did a little review of David Lowry's most recent film, The Green Knight. Um, the message is about 12 minutes long. Uh, it was sent to me as an audio file. Uh, I'm probably going to break up that message and interject where I can and address the different points that Safer touches on. I also want to point out that I'm aware I've got about 10 one-minute messages from Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I know you're listening, Jason. Apologies for not getting to those just yet in fact i haven't even listened to those because i know that there are going to be a few subjects that you touch on there so i wanted to remain focused on this one message that safer sent me and i'll be addressing 
your messages, Jason, in the next episode. I hope you understand why I'm doing that. So without further ado, over to you, Safer. Hello there, Spencer. It's just Safer here. I just thought I'd drop you this uh, message as a response to your uh, Gawain and the Green Knight podcast. Um, I decided to send you as a email message because um, it's, it's made me realise uh, a bit of an existential crisis I've had uh, after listening to it. Um, I've suddenly realised that I've had a bit of a Mandela effect episode uh, regarding uh, Gawain and the Green Knight. Uh, but, but before I start, perhaps I'm a bizarre, my own bizarre tale, um, I'd just like to say um, congratulations, Spencer, uh, on um, the game you played of uh, League of Eternal Guardians for uh, Everyone Games 2 on Twitch. Uh, I, di- I didn't catch all of it. I think I missed the first hour of it. Um, I've been, I'm full of coal at the moment. Uh, I've been all weekend and, and uh, my family came to visit me for a, a couple of hours, so I missed the start of it. But um, I caught the end of it and I uh, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great game and I thought it was a great showpiece for uh, the game, a uh, showpiece in the um, accessibility uh, tools that you developed, the sort of voice-activated dice rolling and that, and how the, the way the game is so simple with it just dice six, the, the main format, how that helps with its uh, accessibility as well. But, uh, yeah, so I just want to say well done. Hi, Saifa. I'm just going to interject here and just say thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time out to watch that live stream. As I said in the uh, intro, that's the first time I've been involved in anything like that. And, um, yeah, actually my character, Samuel Pendle, was going to have a nice northern accent, but I chickened out at the last minute. As I say, it was a really fun session. And yeah, the the actual uh, dice roller that read out the results for the the visually impaired players that were uh, taking part. Just one of the great things that I'm not sure if um, everyone gaming was responsible for putting that together, or that's just a feature of Discord. But um, good to know that something like that exists. And um, Safer mentioned. The Mandela effect there, anyone who's not familiar with that, it's about the misremembrance of particular details of something and the the actual name of the effect comes from someone who was making a speech at a conference talking about the tragic death of Nelson Mandela and relaying certain details about the event and this was actually in 2009, five years before he actually died. What was interesting there was on learning that he was still alive, she spoke to other people at that conference and they were able to corroborate certain details that they remembered. A really, really interesting phenomena. And it's it's usually about something being remembered by a large number of people that never actually occurred. A bit like how Humphrey Bogart never said, play it again, Sam. And Darth Vader never said, Luke, I am your father. Anyway, that's enough of that. Back to you, Cypher. Yes, I've had a bit of a Mandela effect regarding Green the Green Knight, because after I listened to your podcast, I thought I'd go back and um, check on some of my books and read up about the story again. And, and, I, and when I did so, I thought, that's not how I remember the story when I first read it when I was just like a teenager. Um, 
because I remember I remember reading it just after I remember watching the movie when I was fifteen at school as part of an English O level course, and then I remember reading about it afterwards, and I got a good little book, um, Richard Cavendish's um, book, um, King Arthur and the Grail by Richard Cavendish. I got given that by a friend of my father's, and it was a great little book. Uh, describing some of the meanings and morals and themes behind the, the 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 stories as they first appeared, and and I got a bit into Arthurian legend and I was reading into it, and I was sure that I came across a theory of Gawain the Green Knight as being the the one that we know now the the 14th century poem as being like a later Christian, I don't want to say corruption, but a later Christian interference in what was a much earlier sort of pagan Welsh Celtic uh, story, uh, beheading story of, of Gawain. And I had this idea that um, the original pagan story had a quite clear-cut message, quite a quite clear-cut moral, moral about um, the meaning of life, really, and that the later one, the, the later um, Christian 14th century one, kind of makes things a bit more ambiguous and um, confuses things by introducing Christian morality concepts into it. So if you bear with me, as I say, I've I've had this this impression of Gawain the Green Knight for over two decades now, as I remember it. And now that I've checked on it, I, I can't seem to find any validation for it. I can't see any of the books that I still have on Arthurian legend uh, referencing this theory. And I can't find any reference on the internet. I don't know if I've been conflating things between the, mo- the movie, the 1973 movie, uh, I'll not speak of Sword of the Valiant, the 1980s movie with Sean Connery. I've never seen that and I don't want to see it. But I enjoyed the 1973 version of Gawain the Green Knight. And maybe that doesn't exactly follow the poem. It incorporates um, elements from other Arthurian stories. So I don't know if I'm conflating that with the original poem with perhaps other stories of Gawain, like uh, Gawain and the Call of Carlisle. Um, and somehow I've managed to come up with my own theory about what Gawain and the Green Knight means. Um but if I have, I'm quite impressed with myself that I've made up this strange theory because I'm, I'm convinced that I, I read it somewhere, that it was someone else's theory. And, I'm sh- and I was convinced even that the, the way the story was run was quite different. So I, I don't know if my memory's just poor. I don't know if um, I've had a Mandela effect moment. I don't know if I've perhaps have fallen through a time shift at, or a dimensional shift at some point. Perhaps the Hadron, they say the Hadron Collider created a create a time shift in the world within some of the conspiracy theories but um no perhaps perhaps just 20 years of heavy liquor drinking uh create a dimensional shift i think i'm more inclined to believe that is something that's possible right yeah so i just want to interject there first of all yeah it's quite clear that the 14th century poem itself is yes it's very christian it takes place on christmas eve And yeah, and there's a lot of Christian themes throughout. But yeah, no doubt this is some old pagan story that has been Christianized. I don't doubt that for a second. I mean, look at look at all the things we celebrate here in Britain, at least. I mean, they're all with the possible exception of Guy Fawkes night. They're all Christian hijackings of pagan festivals. I think I can say that without causing too much controversy. And and obviously, Arthurian legend is very much tied to Christianity, what with the Holy Grail. And, um, but historically speaking, if King Arthur was anything, if, if not a Welshman, certainly 
of Brythonic descent. Um, somewhat actually, I'm a little shady on the details if there are indeed details, but I mean we're talking post Roman Britain, and um, you know, and, and dealing with the influx of the Germanic tribes, the Angles, the Saxons, the Jutes. So if, even in the absence of evidence, I don't doubt that this is a pagan tale that has been Christianized. And, and also as a fellow substance abuser who probably spent about 20 years of my life under the influence of one substance or another, the, the, the concept of uh, a hazy, misremembered past is certainly something I'm very familiar with. I think the film does a really good job of actually depicting this kind of clash or rather an overlapping of the sort of the pagan and the Christian. Uh, there's very much a sense of passing from one era into another. It's certainly something very transitional going on in the film. And the film is very much about the passing of time moving away from a, a pagan past into a more Christian culture, shall we say. Anyway, let's get to this theory of yours. Well, anyway, I'll put you out your mystery. I'll get on with my strange theory. So I'll save you. I'll go right to the cut of the chase that what I thought was the moral of the story that, I, as I say, that I thought I read was a, as, a, as, a, as someone else's theory, but I might have just made up myself, which I'm surprised and amazed at, is that... Gawain and the Green Knight says that sex is the only defence against death. There we go. That's from it. Sex is the only defence against death because sex is what makes babies. And babies and the next generation is the only way that life can cheat death. And therefore it says that um, the meaning of life is life itself. Uh, the continuation of life. And the purpose of an individual's life is therefore to have babies. That's it in a nutshell. Now, what I find interesting, despite you not being able to find um, evidence of this theory being present in, in your reading, in the books you've got there, I feel it's certainly something that's definitely there in the film, this idea of escaping death through progeny. Although perhaps not presented in quite the way you're suggesting, but uh, I, I seem to recall you saying that you're, you're, you know, you're not one for watching more modern films, but I don't know. If you do get the opportunity to see this, I think it's, it's well worth checking out. So if you're still with me and you haven't got completely bored yet, I'll perhaps go into a soap. Obviously the poem's full of symbolism. The main one being the Green Knight himself and also Gawain. So in this theory that I thought I'd read was um, the Green Knight represents death and Gawain represents life. And there's some other um, parallels with that. So the, the, the Green Knight being green, the confusion over his colour of his green, I thought that I'd read that green was a colour of death for the people of the medieval periods. It wasn't Black wasn't a colour of death. Green was because colour was green was a colour of rot. Rotten flesh had a tendency to go green. And it was also that nowadays our idea of green being a, a colour of life, being of wild places, in the medieval period, 
the green wild places were a deadly dangerous place that they were scared of it, what, they didn't have any sentiment about it um, wild um, mosses and um, swampy lands and even overgrown forests and uh, scrubland which used to infringe on their um, cleared uh, areas of land that they'd used to gather crops that was a threatening um, thing that was a symbol of death for them because it threatened their livelihoods so that's why he was green in my theory, which, which I can't quite confirm from any of my sources either. So, I so that might be another dimensional slip thing. I don't know. Also, um, the fact that he arrives in winter, midwinter, Yuletide, is that reflecting that um, the Green Knight represents winter as well. And winter is also a representation, a symbolic of death, because um, winter is obviously, you know, it seems that life retreats in winter. The animals go back into the burrows of the Plants disappear from the ground, the leaves fall from the trees, and the insects are no longer flying in the sky. And so, therefore, the Green Knight represents death, and it represents winter, and his colour represents death. And Gawain, in contrast, in direct contrast, being the youngest of uh, Arthur's court, he represents youth and life, but also, at being a youth, he represents spring, in contrast to the concept of uh, winter, uh, the return of life. Uh, the Green Man... Uh, the Green Knight, who some people relate to the Green Man, doesn't represent uh, the, the cycle of life. Uh, Gawain represents life. So then two characters represent this this conflict between life and death, and the cycle of life and death, of you know being born, grown up, having children, dying, and then being replaced by your own generation. And that is paralleled by the idea of the cycle of the seasons, of... Um, spring rising to summer to autumn and then giving way to winter and then the miracle of spring occurring again in a constant endless cycle and in beheading the green knight Gawain represents that miracle of spring of the resurgence of life back to the world and um, but he's only got one year to in my understanding of this theory that I read the version of the story that I thought I knew was uh, that he only, he's got a year to work out the meaning of life before he has to come back and face death again at the end of the next year well, that idea about green being the colour of rot and the the wilderness being a dangerous place is very much there in the film. Um, in in fact, um, is it Lady Bertalak goes into this kind of monologue about greenness and rot and death. So it's quite explicitly there. What's interesting is, you know, you say the Green Knight represents death. Obviously, there's the green man, uh, the pagan symbol of, of of spring. Actually, I think isn't he? Um, it's certainly the the cycle of the seasons, regrowth, which I guess is you know death is in there, death and rebirth. It's all part of the cycle, and I guess it, the whole concept of cycles is much more of a pagan idea than the christian sort of uh concept of like a definite beginning and a definite end but um yeah as you say in medieval times green was associated with the devil it was the color of the devil not black or red but green and there's a there's a lot of talk over around what the green knight represents is kind of like a Presented as a, as a trickster, as a tester of knights, and and I guess the idea of the the trickster 
also being an idea associated with the devil. So, and there's also this feeling of death being ever present. When we're introduced to Arthur and Guinevere, they're both, they're depicted as being old and sickly and, you know, really at the end of their uh, reign, I guess. And, and Gawain is very much of a, a new generation. And there's, there's also the, the fact that it's Gawain versus the elements. Gawain versus nature. That's certainly in there too. Um, him venturing out into this unpredictable world, having lived in relatively secure, civilised surroundings. Yeah. And in my version of the story that I thought what happened was that Gawain had a series of adventures which basically taught us that um, everything but the sex act was futile against death. So knowledge was useless, wisdom, learning, strength of arms, courage, um, vigour, all useless against death, nothing could seem against death. Uh, at the end of the story when he finally, in the version that I thought he succumbs to the, uh, the maiden's charms, she gives him her sash. And I even thought that that, and the version, it's green sash in this current world that we're living in. I thought, remember, basically it was a red sash. And that is symbolic. The red sash is well known in Arthurian and Celt legend, the woman's girdle around her waist. That's a, that's a representation of her sex, of her womanhood. It's actually a physical representation of her vulva. That's what the girdle was in these old pagan stories. And my understanding of what that meant was that when Gawain puts the girdle around his waist or around his neck in other versions of the stories, um, he effectively becomes a symbol of his own manhood, his own todger, basically. And that the symbolic act of him wrapping the woman's girdle, which is a symbol of a vulva, around his own torso, where he becomes a symbol of his own manhood, it's actually a description of the sex act. That final scene before he faces the, uh, the, the, the giant's cut, it's just, when he puts a girdle on, he's describing actually a sex act. And that's the message of the old pagan story, that um, far from uh, the, the, the giant um, chiding Gawain for his cowardice and for hiding the, the, the girdle, it's the girdle that deflects the, uh, the blow from the axe. And therefore that tells us that the sex act has defeated death, has cheated death, because the sex act is what allows life to continue on to the next generation. And so it's quite a simple, plain, direct message that I thought Gawain was telling the world in the, the old pagan sense that has then been obscured by later um, Christian interpretations and the latching of Christian moralities and values onto it. So ultimately the story tells us that the meaning of life is having children. That's it. No more ambiguity, no more confusion. This is really interesting because it's another element that is very clearly depicted in the film. The sash is green, as it's shown in the film, and as I'm aware, it's in the... In the uh, the original poem, but the the idea of it being a quite a sexual act, yes, that's quite explicitly shown in the film when 
the lady, uh, Berthold's wife, is it Berthold? Uh, Bertilak's wife gives Gawain the sash. Yes. Well, it's, it is, it involves a sexual act and, you know, there's no mistaking uh, what we're being shown there. And Gawain does succumb to her advances. And, um, and to an extent in the, in the poem, he does succumb to her advances in the fact that they kiss. And when she gives him the sash, and obviously the deal with Bertilak is that anything Bertilak finds on the hunt will be given to Gawain and anything Gawain is given in the house, he must give to Bertilak. Now, in the poem, after he's given the sash by the lady of the house, he gives Bertilak the kiss. He, they, he discloses that interaction with the lady kissing Bertilak in the same manner, but he doesn't disclose that he's been given the sash. Now it's quite clear in this in in this version, Gawain gets given the sash at the beginning of the film, at the beginning of his journey, his mother gives it to him and tells him while he's wearing it, he cannot be harmed or at least cannot be killed. And then uh, following an encounter with some bandits, he loses the sash. And then the sash is presented back to him by Bertilak's wife. So, so the suggestion in the film is that it's, it's given to him by his mother to protect him. She has summoned uh, the, the Green Knight herself, because she is a Morgan, Le Fay. And Green Knight, the implication is, as I understand it, she summoned the Green Knight to challenge her son because he's far too complacent where he is. She wants him to go out and be a man. But at the same time, she wants to protect him. She wants to be safe. She doesn't want him to pay the ultimate price. Gawain himself is, let's say, uh, um, preoccupied with his own mortality. Um, I don't know, that feels too strong a word, but it's certainly on his mind which is something that, you know, knights of Arthurian legend are not known for. You know, carrying that weight, they go out and they fight the good fight because that is their lot. Um, but uh, spoiler alert, he then, he then goes to confront the Green Knight, who um, at one point appears as... Lord Bertilak, and I think in the poem it's quite clear that Lord Bertilak was the Green Knight testing him on his quest. Sorry, I was interrupted there. My daughter came into the room and, well, I never got back to recording. Now, this is the next day, picking up where I left off. I was just about to spoil everything, wasn't I, by talking about the ending. And, um, yeah, in the poem... Gawain is wearing the sash when he confronts the Green Knight. The knight takes three swings at Gawain's neck and Gawain flinches the first couple of times. And then on the third time, the knight just catches his neck 
gives him a small nick on the neck. And the knight reveals that he knows about the sash and he was Lord Bertilak, but it's okay. He's a good man and he's free to go, you know, with his life. And he returns a hero. And the, But there's this, this sense that Gawain still feels like he's cheated. Now, I think there's something, there might be something in there about him putting his faith in the protection of the sash, if that makes sense. Um, uh, that thought just occurred to me, that, that it's about him trusting in the protection of the sash and allowing the knight to deliver the blow. Just the thought that popped into my head just then. The film is a little different. In the film, the knight takes the first two swings, Gawain flinches, and then we're shown a sequence of events, essentially what might have been had he chickened out and returned and uh, we see his life unfold and he does indeed have a child, but we're shown a knight that becomes king, but without honour, without humility. And then we come back to the final blow. As the Green Knight is about to take it, Gawain says, hold on a second, and he removes the green sash. Which to, to me very much suggests that the film is about, um, and you know, bearing in mind there are, any number of ways you can interpret this. It's such a rich, layered film full of symbolism that can be read in many different ways. But for me, it's about accepting responsibility. It's about acceptance. It's about what it is to be noble. And I don't mean having a title. I mean living with grace and honour and and facing fear with dignity. That, that for me is, is what the film is about. That's the, the journey I see Gawain going on within this film. And yes, so him removing the sash is basically him taking the gloves off, him saying, I'm willing to accept my fate with dignity. That, that is when the Green Knight sees that Gawain has, in fact, learned his lesson and grown into a man fit to be a knight, fit to be a king, in fact. <laughs> so, well, I don't know where I've got this from. I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a bit of an existential crisis because I can't confirm any of this from any of the literature that I've still currently got, and I can't find anything on the internet to... Uh, um, validate this either. Um, it's not John Spears's attitudes, and as I say, I might be conflating some other myths into this, and I've somehow I've created my own interpretation of it. But even as I say, my memory of how the the story played out is slightly different to how I now see the story as being portrayed nowadays. So who knows? Perhaps I have fallen through a wormhole into an alternative dimension, uh, Spencer. But I don't know if um, my rather simplistic, direct, um, false memory of Gawain the Green Knight 
it would appeal to you. I, I don't know if the, perhaps the more ambiguous uh, uh, concepts in the, the, the story as it stands is more appealing to you, but uh, there you go. Thank you for listening. Sorry for uh, having to waste your time with all of this, Spencer. I, perhaps I don't know if there's been anything remotely interesting for you, but take care. All the best to you. Bye-bye. Not at all, Safer. Not at all. I really appreciate that message. I really enjoyed listening to it and uh, hearing your theory. Certainly extremely interesting and contemplating that and reflecting on, on, on my thoughts about the story. And, um, I mean, you mentioned ambiguity there. There's certainly, that is also something picked up by the film. We're, we're shown things and then we're kind of shown things that contradict what we've just seen. And I think the, the story itself, well, as I said before, the, I think the, the original poem, you know, it's not just a legend. It's a poem about the nature of legends. And I think that this film really plays on that kind of what is it to be a hero? Uh, and um, the, the fact that I think there are different versions of this story. I know you mentioned uh, that it was at the Carl of Carlisle. I know there's also another similar story called um, The Turk and Gawain. Um, and as far as I'm aware, although I will say. I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar with either of those other stories, but I understand there are similarities to Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. But th thank you so much for sharing that. It's been wonderful to uh, well, listen to your thoughts, um, to be able to reflect on the film and the story again, and um, well, have something that at least interests me to put out as. A podcast so um yeah thanks very much for that cheers safer and um if you got any further reflections or anyone else uh, like i say i've got a fair few messages from jason lined up which will uh, no doubt be uh, the main part of the next episode which i hope to put together very soon Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off The Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ.
Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.